Today's scripture reading comes from uh, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 16. You can follow along again in your printed bulletin or on the e-bulletin. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the, on the road. And the crowds that went before Jesus and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and Jesus healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. This is the word of the Lord. How are we sounding? Everyone can hear? It's weird because there's no like speaker, so you can't really hear yourself. Besides, it sounds like I'm talking to myself. But um, I remember when we um, when we first went, um, you know, we we had to go virtual, and then our first service is like super dark. Like th- we're trying to figure out the video and stuff. And so if you go back and look at that thing, it's like <laughs> it looks like we're it looks like we're in this like dark room and it's kind of bootleg. But um, we've come a long way. Uh, there's been some you know technical difficulties here and there, but we're glad to be worshiping back together um, with everybody. Um, and it's great, right? We're, I'm able to see you guys move my eyes around rather than looking into a phone where Bethany told me to put the sticker here so my eyes don't wander uh, when, uh, <laughs> when I'm recording. And so this is awesome. It's great to be with you guys um, in person. And uh, yeah, we can't wait till, you know, we're able to meet close in close proximity back inside as well. But this is great. And so... Um, Today is Palm Sunday, which is the start of what's known as the Holy Week, right? And the Palm Sunday, it leads into Good Friday, which is the crucifixion of Jesus, and then it leads to Resurrection Sunday, which is Easter Sunday next week. Today, we'll be going through the triumphal entry of Jesus, and it's called the triumphal entry because the followers of Jesus believed that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem in triumph to establish himself as the king of Israel. And it's called Palm Sunday because when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, 
the crowds, they would lay down these palm branches before him as a sign of victory and peace and hope for their coming king. You know, prior to this scene, Jesus, he is preaching, he's teaching, he's healing in all different areas for the last three years of his life. And then he would tell people that he would heal, not to tell others about his true identity, right? They knew that he was the Christ. But now here in Matthew 21, he doesn't hold back who he is. He accepts all praise and claims of his divinity, and he boldly asserts himself as the Messiah in his final week of life. Everything that he's been working towards is now leading into this very week as he enters the holy city of Jerusalem. And so this week was of utmost significance for Jesus and for us, uh, humanity and all of creation because of what was about to go down. The Messiah, the Savior, the King of the world was riding into Jerusalem to shouts of praise, but things aren't as they seem. What the people viewed as strength and power of a king and his mighty rule, it was not how Jesus was coming. But salvation and the glorious kingdom of God, it wasn't coming in power. It was coming in weakness. So three points for us this morning. The humble king, the holy king, and the weak king. Our first point, the humble king. And so this chapter, it begins with Jesus and his disciples. They were nearing Jerusalem, and he sends, uh, Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead to grab a donkey uh, for him to ride on um, into Jerusalem. And he does this intentionally to show everybody that he is fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. Right? And he's declaring himself to be the king from the line of David. He's declaring himself to be the Messiah. Matthew 21.4 says this, this took place, right, him riding in on a donkey, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Right, the Jews, they were all familiar with this prophecy. They were all eagerly waiting hundreds of years for this prophecy to be fulfilled. And so they see Jesus, they're saying, Oh man, Jesus is the one. Their promised king has finally come to defeat their enemies of this oppressive Roman rule and to usher in a new powerful kingdom of peace. So they lay out palm branches. They lay out their cloaks on the floor as a sign of welcoming and submitting to Jesus as king. They were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna means to save, like Rich was saying earlier. And as the crowds were shouting Hosanna, they are indeed acknowledging that Jesus is coming to save the people. But they misunderstand the type of salvation that Jesus comes to bring. You know, as the Holy Week progresses, closer and closer to Friday where Jesus is eventually strung up on the cross to die. The people soon see that Jesus was not quite who he was supposed to be. It was clear that they didn't understand what Jesus came to do, right? What king comes into Jerusalem in triumph and then he dies only a few days later on the cross, right? It makes no sense. Even his disciples are confused by this. The crowd shouts of Hosanna in this hopeful moment it was more about a physical deliverance, a conquering of the Roman nation, rather than what Jesus really came for. 
at the recent events of UFC 257. I know I use a lot of sports events, but so much wisdom to be gleaned here. <laughs> the main headliner was Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. And for this recent fight, McGregor, he was the favorite to win, right? He's historically a better fighter. Um, he has more tools and skills and uh, weapons in his arsenal. He's more exciting to watch. Um, he hypes up all his fights. And so you believe that he's going to win almost purely off of his hype. And so here I am, I'm rooting for McGregor to dominate, right? to win, to be flashy, to make this fight exciting. But, but it never comes. McGregor, he gets knocked out in the second round by Poirier. The fight wasn't even exciting, in my opinion. Right? My expectations for McGregor, they were not met. Right? It was all hype in my mind, and I was left very disappointed. I imagine this is similar to what Jesus' disciples and the Jewish crowd must have felt about Jesus as this Holy Week went on, but obviously on a much larger scale. When we think of a powerful nation, we think about a bold, unflinching king and president, right? A strong economy, a powerful military. But Jesus, he rides in on a donkey that he borrowed. He's poor, he has a handful of disciples, no military, no weapons. Rather than coming as the mighty king on a war horse, ready to conquer the Roman government, he comes as a humble king riding on a baby donkey. What is going on here? We are being shown, church, the countercultural nature of the kingdom of God and the king that rules over it. Jesus is showing everybody that this kingdom is not about pomp or show or muscle or fear or coercion or force or power as the world sees power. But this kingdom starts humbly with a humble servant king. Right? Jesus doesn't come to conquer the Roman authorities or any other government. That's not his purpose. But he comes to conquer something deeper. Something darker and more insidious. Something often overlooked. He comes to conquer sin. The main problem wasn't the Roman government of the day. Right? The main problem was sin in the hearts of the people that didn't realize that they needed a greater salvation. You see, church, the gospel in Christianity is first about the spiritual matters of the heart. And these things cannot be overcome by any means of physical strength and power. Right? We all know this. Right? No amount of willpower or structures or accountability can save us from the sin within our hearts. It can only be overcome by a humble king that comes to bring a deeper salvation for us. This brings us to our second point, the holy king. Verse 12 says this, Jesus, he entered the temple. He drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you guys are making it a den of robbers. So on this Holy Week, right, it's also during the week of the Passover. And the Passover is when the Jews, they would remember and celebrate what God had done for them hundreds of years ago in Egypt. How God had liberated the Jewish people out of slavery from Egypt. And so this was a very big celebration, right? It's been reported by um, Jewish historians that literally millions of people from around the Roman world, they would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover on this Holy Week. 
There's a lot of people there. Jerusalem was the Jewish capital. It was also the location of the temple. And the temple was a very important building to the Jews because it symbolized the very presence of God being with his people. It was a place for people to physically come to worship, to pray, to give offerings, to make animal sacrifices to God. So here's Jesus. He enters the temple courts, and this temple area is very big. Right? You have the temple building proper. You have the surrounding courts around it. There are a lot of people coming in and out. There are merchants that were lined up in the courts doing business, providing some essential services to travelers. And it was common practices uh, for the exchange of currency, the selling of animals to these travelers, right? Because the travelers, they didn't want to carry an animal on their journey. But these business services, it ended up being a means of exploitation and theft. These merchant swindlers, they made it very difficult to exchange currency. They jacked up the percentage rate of exchange. They sold animals that cost upward of 50 times higher than the average street price, forcing people to pay out. Right? They had to, the travelers had no other means. They had to change their money. They had to buy their animals. So Jesus, he sees what's going on and he gets angry. Right? He runs over to the merchants. He flips over the tables and the chairs and he kicks these guys out of the temple. He's angry because of the shady practices that are going on and it's happening in the temple courts. He says, God's temple is a house of prayer, but you guys are here being shady, making this place a den of thieves. He's angry because they have no regard for prayer or worship or this holy place of God. They have no shame in using Pass this Passover celebration as a way to take advantage of the temple and its influx of worshipers for their own personal gain. Right? They didn't care about the sanctity and the holiness of God. One way we can define holiness is God's perfection and parity. And Jesus is showing his anger here for anything that goes against this holiness. Reason I want to be very careful here, right? Christianity is not about living in a paralyzing fear that God is out to get us because we can't live up to his holiness but it's also not about living however we want with no care about God or His holiness. So how are we supposed to look at it? To truly understand and experience the deep joy of our salvation, we must understand and feel the weight of both holiness and sin. Right? We must understand what we have been saved from. How do we know that we are sinners? Well, when the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he's given this vision of God sitting on the throne and there's this angel that's above the throne. He's saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. In that moment, Isaiah being in the very presence of this holy God, he felt the weight of his sins. And he says, Isaiah 6, 6 says this, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Next to a holy and perfect God, Isaiah felt the weight of his uncleanliness, his unworthiness, his shortcomings before God. You see, risen Christianity is about beholding this holy, pure, and perfect God, which then helps us to see ourselves. It helps us to know that we are not much different 
than these merchant swindlers in the temple with little regard to God's holiness. We see that we often just use God for our own selfish gain. But when we experience this holiness of God, we will be convicted. We'll see that we are sinners in much desperate need of salvation. Right? None of us is better than anybody. We are all in need of saving. A couple of years ago, Lauren and I, we went to Hawaii for a week without the kids and I was in charge of booking everything. And so for the first half of the week, I booked a place on the south side uh, by Honolulu. Um, and for the second half of the week, I booked a place um, um, on the north side by North Shore, this guest house. And um, the first half of the week was awesome. I had no problems with our stay. Midweek comes and then we drive up to uh, North Shore. We spend the day there. We end up staying at this guest house that has some top rated reviews. The pictures were beautiful. So we were excited. We get there, we get settled. Lauren's tired, so she washes up um, early and gets in bed. Then I get ready to wash up. And out of the corner of my eye, I see something on the wall in the dark behind the dresser. And so I, I'm, I don't want to look at what it is, so I ignore it. I go to the bathroom and in the bathroom underneath the sink cabinet, I see something moving. <laughs> And I start to freak out a little bit. So I turn off the lights. And this is what you do. Turn off the lights for a minute in a small room. You know, our guests, our, our, the guest room was just literally a small room and a bathroom. Um, and then I turn, off, turn the lights off for a minute. I flip it back on. <laughs> and then I see multiple baby roaches on multiple services in that room. It's on every dark crevice. It's on all the furniture, behind the furniture. It's even under the bed. Lauren, she slept soundly but I barely slept that night. Right? I was up two or three hours turning, flipping the switches, hitting, hitting these roaches. And I felt so dirty even going into bed. It was a very restless sleep. When we are in the presence of a holy God, it's kind of like flipping on the lights in that North Shore room. You know, we see all the imperfections and things that are hiding in the darkness of our hearts. You know, the pictures of the room from afar, looks beautiful, no problems. The user reviews, top-notch, but then you show up, you flip on the lights, and it's a hidden mess inside. In so many ways, this is us risen. Apart from Jesus, we are not holy. We could never be good enough for God, and this is why we need Jesus to save us, to restore us. And the good news is, is that he does. R.C. Sproul says this in his book, The Holiness of God. When we understand the character of God, when we grasp something of his holiness, then we begin to understand the radical character of our sin and hopelessness. Helpless sinners can survive only by grace. Our strength is futile in itself. We are spiritually impotent without the assistance of a merciful God. We may dislike giving our attention to God's wrath and justice, but until we incline ourselves to these aspects of God's nature, we will never appreciate what has been done for us by grace. Apart from the saving grace of our holy King, we are lost. We are such broken and sinful people, and it is our humble and holy King that drives out sin and comes to save us. Right? It is a spiritual battle that Jesus rides into on this holy week. 
and he does it for us. This brings us to our last point, the weak king. Verse 14, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. So here's Jesus. He's in temple courts. He's driving out these shady merchants, spending time with the people. He's healing the, the blind and the lame that were there with him. There are kids running around the temple shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, to Jesus. The Jewish religious leaders, they hear the same praise from the crowds a day earlier when Jesus was riding in. They rebuke Jesus then. And then they hear this praise from kids in the temple. And now they're deeply offended again. They're angered. But they say to Jesus, they're saying that you are the Messiah. Why don't you rebuke them? Do you hear what these kids are saying? And Jesus says, yes. He accepts the kids' praises and claims. And then he quotes Psalm 8:2, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. This psalm was clearly talking about praise being given to God. And here, Jesus, he's blatantly telling the religious leaders that this psalm is talking about him, that he is God. He's the son of David that has come to save, just like the crowds and the kids have been shouting for. The religious leaders, they're appalled and dumbfounded, completely blind to who Jesus is. But these kids know, in their childlike faith, they know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he has come to bring salvation to the people. So these kids are shouting, save us, O son of David. Remember, Jesus is not coming to conquer Rome. He's coming to conquer the greatest enemy of sin and death. But in order to conquer this enemy, he must first lay down his life to die for us. What? Why can't he come guns blazing and swords swinging? Risen, it's because we are his enemies. We are the sinners against this holy God. We are the ones that deserve condemnation and death for our rebellion and blasphemies against God. But Jesus is full of grace and tenderness. Yes, he hates sin, but he loves us too much to destroy us. So he humbly, graciously, and quietly takes our place for the condemnation and death that we deserve and instead he brings us forgiveness and reconciliation with God and so now instead of death we receive life instead of being unholy sinners we are made holy pure and righteous instead of being enemies of God driven out of his holy presence we are welcomed into his presence as friends, as children, as heirs of this heavenly kingdom. Instead of us being Jesus' conquered and defeated enemies, laying dead at his feet, he serves us, he kneels down, he washes our feet. 
and instead of a, wearing a crown of gold, sitting on the throne in victory, in majesty, he wears a crown of thorns, beaten and bloodied as he's nailed on the cross and crucified. What kind of weak king is this? Risen, you see, Jesus is our king that rules over us, not with anger, coercion, fear, or manipulation, but he rules over us with his grace and mercy by giving his life to us while we were still his enemies. He could have, could have easily come with a sword in all his might to wipe us out, but he doesn't. He takes the blow of defeat for us and he dies on our behalf. He becomes the weak king for us during this holy week so that we could be strong in him for all eternity. And so Risen, we come this morning to respond in praise and worship of Jesus Christ. We don't need to come with our guard up because Jesus isn't out here to get us, to destroy us, but our humble servant king has come to lay his life down for us. So come, risen, receive his grace and forgiveness. Like the children that were shouting Hosanna to the son of David, we come this morning in our brokenness and in our weakness, and we say, Hosanna, save us, King Jesus. Let's pray, risen. Our Heavenly Father, we are amazed by your grace. We pray, Father, that you would continue to remind us of this gospel, that you are holy and we are not. We are your enemies, and yet you've come down to lay your life down for your enemies. That is crazy. What kind of king would do that? So, Father, we are amazed every time we hear this gospel. We pray, Father, that this would move our hearts. It would convict us as we are in your presence. That we are in constant need of your grace and your mercy. And Father, you give it to us. You give it to us in abundance. And so we thank you, Father, for this Holy Week, for this Palm Sunday. As Jesus Christ rides into town, his eyes are set on the cross. Others have no idea, but he knows. Even the people that are reviled, shouting bad things at Jesus, they're sh shouting hatred and they're trying to put him down. He sees them and he still loves them. So we pray, Lord, that this would move us. It would move our hearts. Help this to change us, to be more loving and gracious people, full of worship, praise, and joy in you. Thank you, Father, for this gospel. This is all we have, Father. Be with us. May this empower everything we do. In Christ's name, amen.